to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a food patriot, and a person who knows cheap food is not cheap. Karen Olson Johnson is not able to be with us today, but behind that glass is Eric. Good morning, Eric. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yay. Um, well, later in the program, we're going to be talking um, with Josh Wise from the Institute of Agricultural and Trade Policy to talk about the Farm Bill, which did not pass yesterday, but it's a horrible, horrible bill, and it's something we all want to um, know about and get active about. Um, Food Freedom Radio is live. Your calls are welcome. The call-in number is 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. And today we're going to talk about being food stoned. Food stoned. Yeah, you're laughing. You're laughing. So in studio with us is Keen, Kean Amdahl. He's the author of Lake Fish, Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish. And he has a blog called Food Stone. So, okay, what do you mean by food stone? <laughs> well, it... Foodstone, the original idea kind of came from that whole concept of, you know, after you've had like a we really nice... We know the concept it came from. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, no, no. You, you, you know, you have that nice big meal with like friends or whatever, and afterwards you're just kind of oh, in that headspace where it's right. like, this is so great, and this is, you know, you're just kind of in that moment. And I wanted to really help people be able to recreate those moments at home and with friends and stuff. Um, so that's really where that, that concept came from. That's such a beautiful image, actually. And I, I'm going to encourage people to call in and reflect on their, some of their food stone moments. Because what I'm picturing right now is those wonderful barbecues and all of that time that you're, you know, you prepare these meals and it's just, it's just coming alive. It's like your own little baby feast. Absolutely. And everybody's got their own stories about that, that time they were at whatever restaurant or that time they were in their backyard or their friend's backyard and you know they just went all out and did something really cool had a really good time and at the end of it everybody's just kind of sitting there silent and just in that in that kind of moment sort of fixated on on what they just did and again that's that's the whole idea yeah that's wonderful inspiration um so your specialty is seafood, and um, you know, and, and you were talking about the relationship at meals. And so healthy relationships are reciprocal. The bee pollinates the plant. The plant feeds the bees. The reciprocal relationships are, you know, at the at the at the key. But is the human relationship with the oceans? Are we working with the oceans in ways that are reciprocal with the natural world? Well, I think there's a, a sort of a back and forth with some of that you know the oceans is something we've had a relationship with forever you know and it's it's something that has never been fully understood just due to their sheer vastness and you know um but forever we've we've been fishing and you know extracting resources from the oceans but we've not understood really how that impact works because we've been just going in there's always fish you know there's always things that we can take so we've not really uh, thought about until more recently the impacts of, of harvesting that on a regular basis. So I know this old, but in, in, in 2006, the journal Science published a four-year study that predicted at, prevailing, at, at current trends, the world may run out of wild-caught seafood uh, by 2058. Um, uh, yeah, you know, there were... Uh, it's funny. A few years ago, there were a lot of those types of predictions, and you were hearing a lot of those things. But the interesting thing about the world of seafood and seafood sustainability is that things change quickly. You know, I don't know if they still have a lot of those current predictions. I know you don't read about them near as frequently as as you were five, six years ago, where it was everywhere we're going to be out of fish. Um, Because people are becoming really savvy to what's going on. And the industry is fascinating. Unlike other, you know, sort of big ag industries that have been doing things and are sort of set in their ways, seafood is really responsive to a lot of this stuff. And they do uh, actually work to try to better their processes all the time to the point where it's really fascinating. That is beautiful. So give us some more details about that. What 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 is what's positive that's happening? Sure. Well, you you see a lot of these companies and a lot of these big businesses um, working really hard to develop all kinds of new technologies in, uh, especially when you're talking farmed seafood. Uh, that's really coming a long way because people, I think, at this point understand that farmed seafood is really 
kind of the next wave of the future. That's going to be the thing. And it's had so many problems in the past, and it's had a lot of sort of reputation issues that it's, it was hard to get people on board. So in order for the industry to make it happen, they really had to look at what they were doing, and they really had to evaluate some of these things. So, you know, in terms of like salmon farming, which, you know, is something that traditionally was thought of as being pretty bad, you know, these industries are going to great extents to come up with all kinds of non-pharmaceutical treatments for the like sea lice issues and things like that, things that are really non-invasive to environments, where they build the farms, you know, both in the oceans and there's a lot of inland tank farming now happening. So there's, a, there's a, so many developments and things moving that industry forward that you just don't see in, in other parts of the food Right. I've been I, I've avoided farmed salmon despite the price. I mean, I will pay twice as much for wild caught salmon, but there's a lot of reasons I do that on a personal level. And I appreciate the complexity of, of any system. It's all so complex. So I'm going to get more into that a little later, but let's dig in a little bit to your personal background so people kind of know um, um, your personal background. Sure. Well, you know, I... It, the way I got into food basically was, you know, starting my blog as a way, as just a hobby. Um, I was in school and working 40 hours a week. I was pretty well spent. So I started the blog, started writing a lot of recipes, and uh, through there I kind of got into food system stories and learning about that. Started writing more about that, and through kind of both mediums, I wound up uh, becoming kind of a local food writer for several of the local publications. And I really got into this idea of telling these people stories when it came when it came to kind of their impact on the food system and things they were doing, which you know leads you right into sustainable seafood and all these really cool farmers doing all this really cool stuff. And then sustainable seafood became kind of a thing, and I was researching that a lot. And I found that the Minnesota Zoo actually had a sustainable seafood program that they were running to try to educate chefs and restaurants on how to better uh, source product. And I was very interested in that product, and I had reached out to them and talked to them quite a bit. And uh, oddly enough, the person who was running that program left to go pursue something else, and that position became available, and I wound up uh, going to work with them for a few years and, and doing that. So I spent many years working and trying to educate people on sustainable seafood and what that means and the the impacts of both farming and wild caught um, and it's just become something that I it's such a fascinating subject it touches so many different things that I I love it That's, and it's very complex isn't it because even what complex. you said about farm you know like oh I want to I, I always want to simplify things and I think that's part of the problem with humans right now I want good and bad okay farming is bad <laughs> and wildcat is good and it, it doesn't work that simple does it no it doesn't and that's that's the hardest part about talking about sustainable seafood is there is no good black and white answer there isn't that just firm eat this fish don't eat this fish you know it's not about species specific. It's not about um, farming or wild specific. It's all about, you know, what species is it? Where is it from? How is it harvested? Like these things are the things that really matter. But there's one statistic I, I ran through, and I actually found three sources that verified this: that over 90% of the seafood now consumed in the United States is imported. Yeah. 90%. That is a yeah. That's a fact, and it's. Odd. We have, in the United States, we have the best managed fisheries in the world, no question. Uh, in fact, this Alaska is the sustainability model for people. Um, and all around our coast, we do a really good job. We do a lot of real science-based management with our quota systems and, and all that. So we have these top-notch fisheries, but other countries are willing to pay more for that quality seafood than we are. So we wind up importing cheaper stuff uh, from all over the place because you want to go down to your, you know, big kind of box neighborhood store and, and get, you know, a $10 bag of shrimp versus, you know, the true cost of that shrimp, which, you know, traditionally shrimp was always considered kind of a luxury item, should be closer to maybe $30 a pound versus the 5 or 10 that you see. 
So it's really hard to compete. We've trained ourselves to look for that kind of cheap product and to the point where I'm not sure a lot of people even know the difference between a really good, high-quality shrimp and something that is a little less so. Now, I can see a lot of reasons why I would want to avoid um, imported um, seafood. I mean, one reason is just um, is, is it's important to be self-sufficient. So this whole system of having this seafood come over on these big trucks, I mean, it just adds to the climate change and it adds to all this um, muck. <laughs> well, there's certainly, I mean, yeah, there's certainly a lot of issues there that, you know, you could go into uh, a lot of depth. And it's it. I've always tried to encourage people, look for domestic product when you can, because if seafood sustainability is something you really care about, then that is the best way to go. Uh, you know you're going to be getting something that was done to basically the hired, highest standards available at the moment, uh, getting U.S. sourced fish. And supporting that, because um, it, it's difficult to, to source. That's not an easy thing to do, because those industries had to compete with the, um, the extractive international um, system. So it's, it's, a, it's a difficult uh, it's, it's a difficult system. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, knowing where your seafood is coming from can be a very difficult and daunting task in and of itself. You know, when you're buying that seafood, you should, your so, fishmonger no. should be able to tell you where it's coming from. Right. And when we think of seafood, we're mainly eating shrimp, salmon, and tuna. And what can we do instead of shrimp, salmon, and tuna? Uh, that's what we're going to talk about when we come back on Food Freedom Radio. Still time for your calls, 952-946-6205. Six years ago, Dr. Emily Stein was confronted with a life-changing situation. Her grandmother developed rheumatoid arthritis and was unable to maintain her own dental hygiene. Unfortunately, her assisted living facility didn't have the resources to help her maintain her dental health either. Once her dental health deteriorated, her overall health deteriorated too. It wasn't long until she had multiple tooth extractions and a severe stroke. That's when Emily put her Stanford background in microbiology and immunology to work. She created an oral care lozenge, or Smart Mint, that manages oral bacteria to promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company dedicated to addressing public health by targeting the root cause of dental disease. Because let's face it, we all could use a little extra help supplementing our daily dental care routine. Visit dailydentalcareswithans.com or go to Amazon to purchase our lozenges and use promo code DDC95002 for a 25% discount on your first purchase. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Daily dental care lozenges are not intended to replace daily dental hygiene practices. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Jeff Warner here inviting you to Krill Expo this weekend at Warner Stellion Stores. We're firing up America's best-selling gas, charcoal, and pellet grills so you can watch them in action, enjoy some mouth-watering samples, and choose the grill that's perfect for you. Warner Stellion has the lowest prices of the year, plus free assembly, free delivery, free recycling, 18-month zero-interest financing, and three free products from no-name butcher-quality meats and seafood. It's Grill Expo this Saturday and Sunday at all nine Warner Stellion Stores. Hi, this is Paul Metza, inviting you to listen to a great new episode of the Wall of Power Radio Hour this weekend, featuring songwriter and star of St. Louis Park, Mr. Dan Israel. We preview tracks off his new record, You Are Free, his 14th record, talk about his life in the business, being a single father of two kids, and his mother growing up on the Iron Range. This Saturday night at 6 p.m., replayed on Sunday at 4 p.m. on AM 950. Hello, fellow AM950 listeners. This is Jasia from Nightingale at 26 in Lindale. My wife and chef Carrie and I invite you to enjoy our local seasonal fair along with thoughtfully chosen wine and beer lists, a refreshing cocktail selection, and continued dedication to outstanding service. Nightingale's freshly remodeled patio is perfect for dinner, happy hour, brunch, and late night fun. We offer our full menu every day from 4 to 1 a.m. Two award-winning daily happy hours and weekend brunch at 10. More at nightingalempls.com. Hey Jude, 
Don't make it bad Take a sad song and make it So welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we take a sad song and make it better. Um, And that's what's happening with the oceans right now. Um, Today's topic on Food Freedom Radio is how do we eat in an ethical way um, if we want to eat our seafood. And with us is Kian Amdahl. He's the author of Lake Fish, Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish. Um, he um, He used to work at the Minnesota Zoo, and he's also at Coastal Seafoods right now working. So... Um, one of the big problems about the way that we're eating is 90% of the seafood consumed in the United States, 90%, over 90% is imported, it's shipped, it's, it's adding to climate change. And mainly what we're eating is tuna, shrimp, and salmon. So, Kian, how can we eat seafood without eating, relying on tuna, shrimp, and salmon? <laughs> I mean, it, that's it's funny because it's... That is one of the biggest problems is the fact that we don't diversify our seafood diets. We don't reach out beyond the species that we know. Um, and it that puts extra strain on those stocks. If we're only eating four fish species of the 30,000 that exist, <laughs> well, then, you know, we're we're not doing ourselves any favors in that regard. Yeah, and I don't like what the market's going to do to respond to that. If we keep doing that, they're going to make salmon grow twice as fast in half the time. And there's just so much in that area arena. So, okay, let's take our favorite. One of the simple dishes are, is that we often make is the tuna fish casseroles and tuna salads. Uh, what could we be doing instead? Well, with tuna, it's interesting because, I mean, there's so many there, – there's several species of tuna – and so if you want to do, like, a sus- nice sustainable tuna salad, look for the sustainably caught tuna because that exists. So you could start there. Okay, so what is the uh, what is a sustainably caught tuna? Uh, albacore is usually a really good species. The, the higher and, quality albacore. Right. And, they, or, and they're much better with the bycatch. And, absolutely. And okay. just look for cans that are... You know, uh, that come with like an eco label, like the MSC label. Look for that kind of thing. Say that name again. The MSC, that stands for Marine Stewardship Council. They are probably the biggest organization in the world for certifying fisheries. They're very, it's a science based organization. And what they do is they work with fisheries to improve them and to get them to a point of sustainability. And it's a pretty widespread label. It's easy to find. You can, you know, most grocery stores will have something that's, you know, at least got some kind of certification on it at this point. And if it's some of those certifications, I don't trust them as much as I used to. <laughs> you know, it's always the place to start. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it's not necessarily the be-all, end-all to just say, well, this one thing is always good for me. But, like, it's it's a good marker. I mean, it would be, you know, it, it's the kind of thing you don't want to ignore and you want to encourage because they're the ones out there trying to make the difference. So if we're not putting our trust at least somewhat into those things, they're not going to last and be sustainable in and of themselves. Right. So you go by the ones that you know, you know, the, the Marine Stewardship Council, the Aqua, uh, Aquaculture Stewardship Council, uh, the Monterey Bay uh, Seafood Watch Program. All of those things kind of work together to help make these these programs work. And the Monterey has got wonderful information. So do you have – they can go on their website and, and check out that – yeah, right. So uh, Monterey Bay, you can go to seafoodwatch.org, and you can type in your species, uh, the fish species, and it'll kind of tell you the different regions of the world it comes from and what the sustainability levels are using kind of a basic stoplight system. So green is good, yellow is proceed with caution, and then red is, is avoid. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, you talk about the Marine Stewardship Council, which is a, you know, that's one of those ones some people are like, oh, I don't know if I trust it. But anything, but they they work with Monterey Bay. So cool. anything and that it, they do that is MSC certified, as far as Monterey Bay is concerned, it is at least yellow listed. Well, and, and so. it's it's interesting because how do we move to a trust economy? <laughs> <laughs> but I love Mon- Monterey Bay. I do trust them. Mm-hmm. So um, and and that that's awesome. Um, and uh, so one of the things I was kind of surprised because I was uh, if, if someone's on a tight budget, the imitation crab, and I was almost. Ashamed to say it, but the imitation crab can actually be an okay choice. Yeah, uh, I love it. As we were talking about before, I have a crab and a lobster allergy, so I can't eat those two things. And the imitation crab is a really nice go-to option for me, and it is cost-effective. 
And most of what they use for that is uh, Alaskan cop pollock a lot of times. So it's a that which is a really great sustainable fish. And it's just a really great product that you could use to make your tuna salad. I have been doing you know? that, and it's been a big hit. It, sure. It's been a fantastic hit. So I just take the imitation crab, some celery and some onion and a, a mayo or a veganese um, for a vegan substitute. Sure. And mix it up and put the crab in there and then put in some pasta. And I've been experimenting with some really cool new pastas out there. Uh, chickpea pasta and uh, lentil pasta. There's all sorts of fun pasta. So now I have a GMO-free gluten-free, high-protein, far better nutritionally than the traditional uh, tuna salad. For sure. And, you know, what's even, you know, talking about the Alaskan fisheries and the Alaskan pollock up there, if you want to switch out that tuna, go to the canned pink salmon. That's one of the most sustainable fish in the world. And it's funny because it's so often overlooked. It's it's available at, like, a lot of gas stations carry it. That's right. You know, that actually reminded me of a foodstone moment I had. My, mm-hmm. I loved when my mom made a salmon casserole with the pink salmon in mm-hmm. the cans. So what would you do with the pink salmon in the cans? I mean, you could make it exactly the way you'd make a normal tuna casserole. You know, a, that, that salmon works really well for that kind of thing. And I've used it for a lot of different salads. Um, I've even just kind of, you know, taken the can out and sort of, you know, they kind of sometimes come in that, like, like a tuna can. Right. So you get it out and you got that kind of salmon patty. You can, if you can keep it intact, you kind of throw it on a grill, sear off each side, and then you've got kind of a grilled salmon salad that you could do. Um, it's just really, it's a really nice product that I think a lot of people around here are not familiar with for whatever reason because, or because this tuna is so popular that, you know, they don't reach out to the other canned or jarred fish species. Cool. So tell us about your book, um, uh, Lake Fish, Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish. Yeah, so the idea behind that, you know, I, I'm i from Minnesota, born and raised here. I grew up fishing, not such, you know, I'm not a super avid fisherman or anything <laughs> like that, but I, I've always enjoyed my sort of recreational fishing. And doing this sort of sustainable seafood stuff and thinking about our local resources and maybe what we can do, I decided to kind of examine that a little further. You know, what are some of the reasons that we don't see a lot more lake fish around you know is it sourcing maybe that's not a sustainable practice but as it turns out there are really good sources of that and there are starting to become more and they are looking at you know doing pond raised versions of these things for commercial use which would be fantastic. That'd be fantastic, especially when people are buying directly from people. Um, again, I, I'm, unfortunately, his name's not coming to me, but I really loved. He has this YouTube video about why the internet is broken. The internet is broken because we expect everything for free and we rely on just a few people. And the solution to fixing the internet is to have us all have our own jobs. Mm-hmm. And that's the same with the food system. I mean, if we rely on, you know, 90% of the seafood we're eating is imported, we're relying on this industrial system to feed us, then we're going to have consequences like, you know, end of the planet. (laughs) For sure. And you want to talk about cutting down on food miles and that sort of thing? You know, there you go. Okay. So can we do anything with Asian carp? Asian carp is a problem. Can we cook it? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about how to cook fish. Also, um, Josh Wise with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy is going to be checking in with us and talking to us about the uh, farm bill, which did not pass yesterday in the U.S. House of Representatives. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com. Hello, this is Ellen Krug from Hidden Edges Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I'm standing in front of audiences training about diversity and inclusion and on how to be welcoming to others who are different from us. More than ever, employers and organizations need professional diversity and inclusion training. I can offer that training through my company, Human Inspiration Works, LLC. I'd love to make your workplace or organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shambot from Shambot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. We always offer a free exam and x-rays for new patients because we believe you shouldn't have to pay to find out what's wrong with your teeth. Call today. We're open early and late and Saturdays to fit your schedule. As my daughter Rachel says, If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. It's a great day for a bike ride. What's that? You can't find your bike? Oh, it has a flat. No problem. Take it to Nakomis Cycle, the hardest working bike shop in town. They're celebrating their 23rd year in business. In that time, they've mastered the art of friendly, dependable service. So keep life and your bike moving with Nakomis Cycle, working harder to make you go faster. Nakomis Cycle at the corner of 46th and Bloomington Avenue South in Minneapolis or at NakomisCycle.com. Saturdays at 1 p.m., you have a chance at a fresh start, a new beginning. Hi, everybody. This is Freddie Bell, host of New Beginnings. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, spirituality, and even entertainment. Every day is a chance for a fresh start. Join us Saturdays at 1 p.m. for New Beginnings with Freddie Bell on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Would you or your organization like to become better storytellers? The Uptake can help. Learn from the best teachers in Minnesota when it comes to writing, photography, audio documentary, or live video streaming. I'm personally teaching the live video classes. We're offering classes on Saturdays in June. There's a charge, but there's a discount for students and low-income people. Space is limited, so register now at theuptake.org slash classes. That's theuptake.org slash classes and learn to storytell like a pro. With your AM 950 weather, I'm Brett Johnson. Look for sunny skies today with a high near 84. Tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 61. Saturday, mostly cloudy with a high near 70. And Sunday, cloudy with a high around 67. The Downtowner Woodfire Grill is the Eat Local Minnesota restaurant of the week. They have daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meals, exquisite pizza, and half-price bottles of wine Mondays and Tuesdays except on Excel Energy event nights. They have gift certificates available, too. Located at 253 West 7th Street in downtown St. Paul. More at downtownerwoodfire.com. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plant the seeds of change. I'm Laura Hedlund. Uh, Karen Nelson Johnson's not able to be with us, but we've had a fun conversation about seafood um, with the author of Lake Fish, Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish. And joining us by phone right now, we're going to get a little update on what's happening with the Farm Bill with Josh Wise from the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy. Hi, Josh. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Uh, thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah, tell us a little bit about what happened yesterday. Well, um, the House uh, went into session and, and went to the floor and accepted several amendments to the Farm Bill. And then they held a full vote, and the Farm Bill failed. Um, no Democrats voted for it, and um, several members of the Freedom Caucus also voted against it. So uh, the Farm Bill went down in the House yesterday, and, and uh, we think that that was a good thing. Yeah, that's great. So let's avoid the Republican drama because, you know, we've talked enough about the drama. Why are the Democrats not supporting this farm bill? Oh, boy, there's a laundry list of reasons. Um, Well, uh, the biggest reason is the work requirements that have been added in for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. It's commonly referred to as food stamps. Um, It would have kicked about a million people off of that program. So that was that was the number one big reason. Um, I'm, I'm but just... on the the farm and agriculture side, it was just as bad. Uh, they eliminated the conservation stewardship program, which is the most co- uh, popular conservation program in the farm bill. Um, the program was already severely underfunded, um, and they they eliminated it altogether. Um, there was they cut funding for environmental quality improvement incentives programs. Um, they eliminated uh, a number of rural development titles. Um, I mean, it was just, it was a slap in the face to farmers, uh, to rural communities, and really to anyone who has experienced hunger. Yeah, and, uh, but with so much news going on, do people really understand how this bill might impact people? Well, I, you know, the, the sad answer is no. Um, the Farm Bill hasn't gotten hardly any attention, um, you know, compared to everything else that's going on in the world this year, which is 
you know, it, it is an important bill. It's hundreds of billions of dollars that's spent over five years. And it really, it, you know, if you eat food, the farm bill impacts you in a pretty significant way. Okay, so what are the next steps? Well, um, hopefully the House will go back to the drawing board and come up with a farm bill that can actually have bipartisan support because, you know, historically the farm bill has been one of the most bipartisan pieces of legislation in Congress. Um, On the Senate side, they have yet to release a bill, and hopefully this will be seen as a wake-up call to them that they need to have a much more transparent process when they're writing the bill. Uh, They need to engage uh, Democrats, and, uh, you know, ultimately they need to come up with a bill that's going to be better for um, for farmers in rural communities and um, people who are experiencing hunger. And when we were taught in school about how uh, democracy works, um, we were the the idea is that people got together and they they debated their ideas and and then they so we sort of had a, a wisdom of the crowds rise. Is that the type of democracy that is um, we're experiencing in America right now? <laughs> uh, sadly, no. Um, you know, it's interesting with the Farm Bill. For, for most of 2017, they actually held listening sessions around the country. Um, and there was a lot of input um, from farmers, a lot of input from agribusiness, from, you know, grocers, from people who have been on uh, SNAP, um, advocates. We all gave our input. Um, and then once they got to writing the bill, uh, Chairman Mike Conway basically ignored everybody and went behind closed doors and came up with a highly partisan bill um, that, you know, that they knew when they released it was not going to have any sort of Democratic support. Okay, so tell us about the timeline now, because it, um, it, what happens if the House and the Senate cannot agree on a farm bill in 2018? Yeah, so what likely will happen is that there will be what's called a continuing resolution so that they'll extend uh, the current farm bill until they can pass a new one, one would hope. Um, often those are, you know, as, as you've heard with other issues on continuing resolutions, they often become hot potatoes and fodder for negotiations and held hostage and all of that, and that's probably going to happen with the farm bill. Um, uh, you know, last time there was a farm bill, um, it, it, it was held up for two years. It was supposed to be passed in 2012. It didn't get passed until 2014. So, um, you know, it's hard to say. It's, it's fairly likely right now that nothing will happen on the farm bill until after the election. Um, but Which would be a fantastic, be seen, hopefully. You know, in the, in, the, in the Senate, they are telling everyone that they're going to release a bill in June. Um, they, on the House side, they said they were going to release a bill last year, and it didn't happen. So just because they're saying they're going to do it, is there's still a fairly low probability that it will actually happen, in my opinion. So Josh Wise with the Institute of Agricultural and Trade Policy. Uh, tell us how our listeners can support you and a little bit about um, IATP. Yeah, well, you can definitely go to IATP.org um, to learn more about the Farm Bill and agriculture and trade policy in general. We have put together a... Uh, farm bill portal with farm bill history and what's happened in the last few farm bills on our website. I would also encourage folks who want to take action on the farm bill and get in touch with their members of Congress to visit the, the website uh, betterfarmbill.org. Better farm- um, and there you can find statements from a number of organizations, especially those who are focusing more on the food and hunger side. Um, and ways that you can get involved. Betterfarmbill.org. And, and driving up here, I, I've often heard people who do not believe that we need food support in this country. They talk about we have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. They have sort of that idea. And I wondered, what would they do if they had to feed themselves for a week? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, and so one of the facts we're talking about today with seafood is that 90% of the seafood consumed in the United States is imported. We're not actually raising it. So part of IATP, part of land stewardship, part of Food Freedom Radio is how do we um, pivot to um, a self-reliant food system that's kind and sane to people and the planet? Yeah. No, it's a good point, and I, I would say, you know, the the Farm Bill, as it's currently written and has been written, is actually um, a, basically a total 180 to where, you know, I mean, the Republicans like to talk about the free market. Well, the free market right now actually ha- is demanding more local food. It's demanding organic food, demanding, you know, demanding GMO produced in a sustainable labeling. way. 
Right. But the farm bill actually incentivizes the exact opposite practices. You know, I will say, though, quickly about the farm bill, um, you know, to people who say we should just cut the insurance, uh, the crop insurance programs altogether, you know, the, the insurance program is just that. It's insurance. And just like you would put insurance on your house or insurance on your business, um, you know, to make sure we have a stable food supply in the United States, crop insurance makes sense, especially when there's low prices right now, if you want to keep farmers on the land. The problem is they're insuring the wrong types of things. Right. Well, Josh Wise with the Institute of Agriculture and Trade Policy, I thank you so much for joining us. Um, and um, is there anything else you want to say? Uh, no, thank you very much for having me again. Our website is www.iatp.org. Great. Thank you so much, Josh. And back, um, Kian um, Amdahl, with, uh, the author of Lake Fish and Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish. So these patterns, I mean, um, if, of supporting um, real people, it's like, it's like the food stone stuff, right? I mean, it's, it's this pattern. How do we support the real economy? You know, it, it's hard. I mean, because the general answer is to try and be an inf- informed consumer, you know, in a lot of cases. But how do you do that these days? You know, it's getting more and more complicated and... You know, we were before we had taken the break before you were, you know, talking about trust and eco labels and things like that. And there's so many people who don't trust them, but, you know, where is that? What is that founded in? Where is that mistrust coming from? Is it just a general mistrust of everything these days? You know, and it, it, a lot of it seems to stem from that. And yeah. it's, it's, it makes it really hard because you're combating a lot of misinformation uh, before you can even get to the topic and it's a super complex topic with a lot of factors you know it it covers basically any science you can think of when you're talking sustainable seafood you're talking biology ecology chemistry you're talking economics you're talking finance just general business um, because it is a global enterprise and trying to manage those things you know when you're talking sustainability are, are you talking about, uh, you know, a species population? Are you talking about their environment? Are you talking about human welfare factors? These are all aspects of sustainability that are not necessarily interconnected. So they're all individual facets of this bigger idea. And trying to sort of even get to that part of the conversation can be hard because it's there are just these automatic distrusts that sort of pop up and exist. Yeah, those automatic distrust, and I think that um, people can feed on that distrust, and 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 then they gain resources by feeding on that distrust. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love this phrase like trustless trust, which I, I don't even know if I can go on there. There's some really good YouTube's out there, but but I know, I mean, I know when I'm growing something or if I'm I'm face to face with the farmer, I, I you know you you kind of get it. Sure. So let's go into some places that we can trust and some stories and and tell us about where you work and how, how do we, how do how do I as a consumer buy food that I can trust well you-, you know and it's hard because we trust the stories and we trust the stories that we hear from like you said you trust the farmer when they tell you what whatever they're telling you you trust that that is true so you know over at coastal and our parent company fortune who does all of our wholesale stuff we've been working really hard to sort of reach out and make those kinds of relationships with the actual fishermen. So we can help better tell those stories so people understand and they can put, you know, sort of that equation together in their heads and say, oh, well, here's this farmer. I can tangibly see them or this this uh, fisherman or whatever. Like, I can hear their story. I believe it now. And th- we use that to try to tell back that bigger story of some of these other things too because it's like this person is part of this system, you know, and they, you know, this is – this person is why Monterey Bay says that's a green-listed fish, and that's why the Marine Steward Council, uh, Marine Stewardship Council, says these things is because this person is doing this, and everybody in that region has agreed to do it this way. So, again, telling those stories I think really goes a long way, which is something I really enjoy doing is is meeting these people and bringing them out and. And, and comparing the stories because, I mean, you have the stories of the dominant system that um, there's bottom trawling, they're, they're disrupting the entire food webs, there's bycatch issues, there's the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, there's 
horrid things like shark finning out there. Mm-hmm. Those stories kind of remain invisible sometimes, so making the story visible. Yeah, and, you know, stories, I mean, all the things that you just mentioned have been big trends over the past several years, and like any other trend, it sort of comes and goes, and you'll hear about it for a minute, and then it'll kind of fade off and, and go away. There's also a lot of, you know, misinformation. You know, when you talk about bottom trawling, for instance, like, it's not always that bad. It depends on where they're doing it. If they're if they're dredging, you know, a sand bottom where there's not, you know, busting up coral or rock formations or anything like that, that's really not an issue. So there is legal bottom trawling in, in areas that is a very reasonable practice versus, you know, dragging a trawl through a reef bed, you know. That's it. That's it. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Still time for your calls, 952-946-6205. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coop. Did you know that tooth decay is the most common disease in America and that over half the American population has some form of periodontal disease? Simply brushing and flossing don't seem to be enough. The abundant bacteria in your mouth thrive off sugar to produce acid and plaque. But what if you could actually prevent bacteria from converting sugar into the harmful byproducts responsible for tooth decay and periodontal disease? Daily Dental Care is a life sciences company that leverages our microbiology expertise to create oral care products that promote strong teeth, healthy gums, and fresh breath. Our lozenges safely and effectively neutralize harmful bacteria and their disease-causing byproducts like acid and plaque without harming health-promoting bacteria that guard your mouth against the destruction that sugar causes. Supplement your daily dental hygiene routine with our convenient dental lozenges. Go to dailydentalcareswithans.com or Amazon to purchase and use promo code DDC95501 at checkout for a 25% discount on your first purchase. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Daily dental care lozenges are not intended to replace daily dental hygiene practices. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, president of Minnesota Hospice, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on AM 950 on Saturdays from noon to one. Our team from Minnesota Hospice will be continuing our series titled Lifting the Veil, Revealing the Spiritual Truths About Dying and Death, where we share insights on the spiritual aspects of this profound experience. Please join us Saturday from noon to one for the new Minnesota Hospice show and learn more about us online at minnesotahospice.com. April blizzards bring more than May flowers. They also bring those hot, steamy Minnesota summer days. Fortunately, Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is bringing you relief with its spring savings sale. That's right, when you install a new furnace and air conditioner in May, you can save up to $1,700, escape the heat, and sleep comfortably all summer long. All at a great price. See Standard Heating's website for details at standardheatingdeals.com. That's standardheatingdeals.com. Some restrictions apply. Tap, taste, and treasure at Vinaigrette, where we have some warm seasonal recipes all ready to create dynamite meals. Our fig balsamic vinegar pairs perfectly with roasted Brussels sprouts or baked brie. And sweet potatoes are always a winner, but never more than when they're roasted with a drizzle of vinaigrette cinnamon or orange-fused extra virgin olive oil on top. Come in today for more custom-crafted food and cocktail recipes at Vinaigrette, 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis, and 287 Water Street in downtown Excelsior. Online at vinaigrettemn.com. Dear Prudence, I love this song. Let's learn to be prudent, huh? How does that sound? I like it too. Why not? Why not? They have a kind, sane world for all. Hey, John Lennon, go! No. Right. <laughs> so you're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950. I'm Laura Hedlund. Karen Olson Johnson's not able to be with us. We're in our last segment. Still time for your calls, 952-946-6205. Have a couple events we want to mention. Um, today is Saturday, May 19th, and the Parterhorn Park Shark Tank is going on today. And that's uh, at Parterhorn Park from 2.30 to 6.00. 
Wonderful. Same thing we're talking about. Let's just buy, have an economy of people buying and selling from each other. Um, the show is replayed on Sunday. So if you're listening on Sunday, you can't go to Part of Her Park because it was yesterday which is today from 2.30 to 6. Uh, but what is going on uh, both Saturday and Sunday is Arta World in Northeast Minneapolis, Northeast Minneapolis. Over 800 artists are participating in Arta World, Arta World, and that's on Saturday from noon to 8 and Sunday noon to 5. And uh, with us is Amdal, uh, uh, Amdal uh, Kian Amdal, and you have a book, Lake Fish, Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish, and you're going to be doing a book signing today. Correct. I will be out at the uh, Lunds and Byerleys in Highland Park doing a book signing, and they'll be demoing uh, one of the recipes from the book, and it should be a lot of fun. So cool. if you're out and about, come on Do down. Do you know what recipe they're demoing? I believe they're doing the uh, my grilled walleye tacos with a mango ah. salsa. A nice little summertime dish. Cool. Well, so share some recipes. What's some of your favorite recipes? What if people get your book? What kind of recipes do you have? In sure, that? I you know with the book I wanted to go a lot of different directions because that's the way I cook. You know I cook from a lot of different um, cultures and I like learning about different styles of cuisine. So I wanted to bring a lot of that to the plate. So really make the book kind of for everybody in that regard. Um, so there's Indian inspired dishes. There's Chinese dishes. There's all kinds of things. Um, in fact, one of my favorite from the book, uh, actually two of my favorites, are the sunfish pot stickers. Sunfish pot stickers. Oh, pot now stickers. I'm 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 lighting up. I'm lighting yeah. up sunfish <laughs> pot stickers because sunfish would be really affordable. I mean, af- not affordable, but are, are are they sustainable? I mean, that's a complicated question because right now they're not really done super commercial. I mean, you can get commercial, but there's not. You have to really catch not, them. Yeah, it's not a broad spectrum thing as it But yet. somebody looking for a job could like try to catch some sunfish. Sure. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um and it's that was a really fun kind of recipe to put together. I did a northern egg rolls for the dish, so basic egg roll filling, but instead of using pork or chicken, I just used northern pike. Cool. Yeah. So how would you cook a sea uh, uh, um a sunfish? Well sun I mean you can do a lot of ways. I mean there's obviously the traditional just shore lunch style fry. Uh, which is what most people do with them. Uh, They're a thinner fish, so they don't take a lot of time, and that's kind of the thing to keep in mind. In fact, most of the cooking is really just done on one side and then maybe flip it over for a couple of seconds to finish it off. Um, But I've done them every which way. I've grilled them, fried them. Uh, I've used them in soups, actually, as well. So you basically... Build your soup and then kind of flake your sunfish in and just poach it in the stock. It's really nice. Um, there's just so many different ways to approach seafood, and everybody's kind of comes at it with a fish and chip sort of mentality, which is fun and great, and that's one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> but, you know, there's just so many other things that, that you can do with both lake fish and ocean fish um, of all varieties. And instead of getting locked into those things that you just know, you know, the, you know, shrimp and tuna and salmon and, you know, again, those are fine fish to eat and there's better ways to do them and worse ways to do them. Uh, But diversity in species is really going to be the key to true sustainable seafood, Um, relieving those pressures on a lot of different things and looking to other sources like lake fish or river fish or you had mentioned even Asian carp before. I was thinking the Asian carp. Have you ever cooked with Asian carp? I've never cooked them, but I've eaten them, and it's delicious, actually. It's a very nice, white, clean fish. And so for for people who may not be aware of the environmental issues around Asian carp, um, share that with us. Sure. So Asian carp uh, is an invasive species here in the United States, uh, especially in kind of the Mississippi River system. That's becoming a big deal. Um, and the problem is is they, they're a big, fast-growing fish that tend to out-compete native carp species and other native fish species. So they, they grow fast. They consume a lot of resources, which means that the other natural fish species in the river systems aren't getting what they need to be for lack, lack of better words, sustainable in and of themselves. So it's been it's become a huge problem, and people are trying to work to kind of figure that out. And definitely eating them is one way to go. There's a big, you know, sort of eat and, 
eat invasive movement going on with not just carp, but a lot of other invasive species to try to eat down those populations. So how do I support that movement? Because it's, it's not alive. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. functioning yet. Right? right. And that's, well, I mean, it, it it's not where it could be uh, because there's a lot of, you talk to a lot of consumers and once they find out it's edible and it actually tastes good, they're like, yeah, I, I could see myself getting on board. And where do I get it? Well, great question. Uh, that's that's the hard thing. And then you talk to some of the fishermen who are actually catching it, and a lot of them are sending it off to be used for things like fish meal or, or that kind of thing because they don't think there's a big enough consumer market to actually try to bring it to market. So you'll find a couple, like, specialty places here or there. I know of a small little place in Chicago that will sell it sometimes, but that's about it, and it was... It's it's been difficult to find if you're not willing to go out and catch yourself, but then again, you could just pull a boat into the middle of middle of the Mississippi <laughs> and they'll start jumping in because that's just kind of what. Or they we do. could try to work on that. Oh, so tell us a little bit more about uh, coastal seafood and 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 how that uh, you guys have been a leader in the Twin Cities for a long time on sustainable fish. Um, two stores, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, we do. Both we've got our retail stores, like you said, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, which are coastal seafoods. And then Fortune Fish and Gourmet is our parent sort of wholesale company, and we do the sell a lot of the restaurants and co-ops and, and grocery and that kind of thing around town. And from its inception, uh, Coastal has always had sustainability as part of its ethos. It's always been part of what we do. You know, we want to work to support people who are doing the right thing. So, again, we try to reach out and we try to make these relationships. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of work recently um, reaching out to direct um, fishermen to try to make that real, like, dock-to-plate connection for people. Dock-to-plate. Yeah, and be able to tell those same kind of stories. You know, when people talk about farm-to-table, it's the same thing with fish, whether it's wild-caught or farmed. We want people to know and understand these systems and how they really work and how complex they are. And it's it's hard. So you can't just do it in one sitting ever. You know, it's kind of a multiple course meal and you got to really but hold people's hands. But if you're Foodstone, it's, it's not so hard, right? I mean, that's your blog. I mean, so if it's Foodstone, it just kind of comes naturally, right? You kind of sense it. I'd like to think so, you know. I, I, I think so. I hope so. Um, so again, you got a book signing. Uh, last 20 seconds, people can stop by your book signing today. Where's that at? Absolutely. It's uh, Lunds and Byerly's in Highland Park. Okay, and we've talked to Kian Amdahl, uh, author of Lake Fish, Modern Cooking with Freshwater Fish. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.